The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. He said to them, Give them some food yourselves. They replied, Five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go and buy food for all these people. Now the men there numbered about 5,000. Then he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50. They did so and made them all sit down. Then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled 12 wicker baskets. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we hear so many amazing parts that, that are retained in our liturgy from all of the readings. The words of institution that our Lord gave to us in the blessing over the gifts, you can hear a lot of that same language, especially when we say it out loud. Normally during a Sunday Mass, of course, we have music, but those especially go to a daily Mass here. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for we offer you this, this bread, you know, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. We hear this blessing over the fruit of the earth, the fruit of creation that is going to be consecrated into the body and blood of Christ. And then you hear, again, this amazing prefigurement of the high priest Melchizedek well before Jesus is ever on earth, on the scene, amongst humanity. There is this illusion towards the Eucharist of the gifts of bread and wine. And then elsewhere in the Gospel, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's an amazing part. You know, you'll remember the scene, too, because it's on the Sabbath. And the disciples are walking through the field of grain. And it said they were hungry. So they started to pick the heads off of the grain and to eat them. And of course, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are on the scene, start to get angry with them because they're doing what they, they observe as like menial labor by picking these, these heads of grain at that time. And of course, Jesus teaches them a lesson. He's just like, you know, do you not remember? in the scriptures, in, essentially in the Old Testament, that when David had no food to eat with his soldiers, how they, did, they took the bread of the presence that was only reserved for the priests, and he gave them that bread on the Sabbath to feed them. And, you know, he's trying to give them the lesson. And again, bread, you know, that was in the Old Testament is something prefigured to the new. I've mentioned this before, but if anybody really wants an amazing, amazing book about this, if you read Brant Petrie's book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, it is amazing about all of the prefigurements, all the times where the Eucharist was sort of presented, you know, staged for the coming of the real Eucharistic presence of Christ here by the bread and the wine that is present in the Old Testament and also in the temple. But there's a more important thing that Jesus says in that moment. He says, there is something more important than the temple here. And when Jesus spoke like that, that's the thing that made, like, infuriated 
the religious leaders more than anything, right? Because the temple was everything for them. The temple was absolutely everything. So when he started to speak like that, those were the things that made him think he was, he was blaspheming, that he was kind of claiming to be God. How could anything greater than the temple be here? And then if you flash forward to his crucifixion, just the blood and water that flow from his side sometimes just seem like, oh, okay, well, that seems to make some sort of sense for people. Done the, they've done those physiological accounts of everything like that. No, it's got a far, far more important meaning there. So remember the temple, there's an ancient record of this in history, that one year in the temple, it was something like 267,000 sacrifices at this one particular time, you know, that they made at the temple. So these are real animal sacrifices that they were doing at the time. And what happened is out of the side of the temple, the blood flowed out of the temple, and it met the river water there. So out of the side of the temple is where blood and water flow and meet one another. And Jesus is saying there is something greater than the temple here. There is something greater than the temple here because it's the same Lord Jesus Christ. It's bigger than that more human reality that everybody had gotten used to at that time. So one thing that we always have to remember is that God the Almighty Creator, the Creator of all things, has the command to do this, to make some form of matter into a greater form of matter. And so, before I get into that, I'm going to go, you know, say this one thing that happened uh, when I was younger, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but we were going on a tour of the church when I was about to make my own First Communion. This was in New Jersey at the time. And we were going through the church, and we went through the sacristy. And many of you who have made your first communions recently probably remember something like that, where we show you all the stuff that we use in the church. And so we were going through the church, and we got to the tabernacle. And when we got to the tabernacle, they said, that's Jesus. And I was just like, and of course, remember how old I am when I'm about to receive communion. I'm looking at a gold box, right? And I'm like, that's Jesus? <laughs> like, like, it really did. I was like, that was a very bad description, right? You know, and so this is what we have to realize, especially when we're catechizing, when we're teaching the young. We really need to be able to have, it doesn't have to be like the most amazing description in the world, but it does have to be adequate and accurate, right? That, that goes a long, long way. And that could have simply been done and like, right, you know, see all, all that bread that Father has up there on the altar, you know, before it's up there on the altar, and then he says the prayer of God over it, and it changes into the body of Christ. And so now that bread is something completely different, even though it appears the same, it tastes the same, it looks the same, right? And that's what's stored inside of there. Just like in our gospel, there are leftover fragments. The leftover fragments are always kept here because every aspect of them is absolutely precious. Now, this miracle is often referred to by an almighty God as a very small miracle. And I agree. It's just like, if you question the belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, then we really have to question, do I believe in an almighty God? Do I believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing God? That's what we say in the creed. 
if we believe in an almighty God, that's the very one that created all of us, created the earth, created all natural things, the one who created the very building blocks of other things that are created, matter itself. He's the only one that can make one form of matter into a different form of matter, just by his own being. He has the capability of doing that, but yet allowing it to be received by all of us in a way that we could still consume Christ. One of the things that you'll notice, and yesterday, for those who were at the reception, they had all the Eucharistic miracle posters up yesterday. And those of you who are familiar with the Eucharistic miracles, they really are just astounding. I mean, can you imagine for the people who are actually there at Mass, the days that these things happen, just or the priests who's staring down at this bread? And so in a Eucharistic miracle, just to cover that, there are times when the hosts, after the consecration, have started bleeding have started to turn into a flesh-like tissue and no longer actually appear to look like, like bread at all. And amazingly, they've done lots of tests over the years from some of the ancient miracles that are still kept in reliquaries all the way to some of the miracles of the modern time. And one of the amazing aspects of all of these things is that the tissue always tests as heart tissue as cardiac tissue. We seek to live our life with the heart of Christ. When we consume him in the Eucharist, we're trying to align our lives to be closer to his most sacred heart. One of these miracles in Mexico, when they tested it, they said, well, whatever the test you gave us, and they, of course they don't tell the labs what it is that they're testing, right? They're like, this is living heart tissue. Living heart tissue on a Eucharistic miracle host. They said normally heart tissue, one, it's separated from the body, can't survive more than 48 hours. It would test as dead heart tissue at that point. And then the blood type is always AB. AB is the universal receiver, the one that can receive all humankind. Those are amazing things, unexplainable things, but not that unusual for an almighty God. Somebody who can change one matter into another form of matter for our benefit. Now, there's moments, one of the famous miracles um, that's now kept in Orvieto, Italy, is of the priest raising the host. It was the miracle of Bolsena, raising the host and doubting the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And then the host started to bleed and dripped, the blood dripped onto the corporal. And that corporal is now kept um, in a reliquary at that church. And in that moment, as he stared upon that host, you know, he was absolutely astounded at what had happened. And I thought, of my, my, I thought about myself sometimes. There are moments, of course, every day I consecrate the Eucharist, sometimes three times a day. And I stand there and I look at the Eucharist. There are moments I'll feel doubt try to creep in try to come into like the, the edge of my being in that very, very important moment. And you know what it usually is? It's some sort of obstacle that seeks to get in between that tiny distance of right here and right here, right? That tiny little distance. But 
it's the things that we're attached to. It's the sins that we have in our life. Those are the obstacle between his heart becoming a part of my heart. And those moments where I feel free of that, <laughs> you know, there's no obstacle there, right? You know, I gaze at Christ. But everyone has moments like that. That's, in fact, what sin is. It's a, sum, a stumbling block to the reception fully of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And it's just as we talk about, he said, there is something greater than the temple here. We're also reminded in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in us. And so as I've referred to it before, that tabernacle has Christ inside of it. And then we become living, breathing tabernacles that seek to be transformed so that Christ could transform his heart into our heart so that we could give him to other people out in the world. So there's absolutely something greater than the temple here. It's the most important thing that we have. Not that long ago, somebody had told me, you know, people struggle with their faith, struggle with their Catholic faith. And somebody said that they wanted to leave the church. And this priest said to them, how could you leave and go to another church? The reason that you're here is the Eucharist. And the response to that person ended up being, thank you, Father. I think I started to forget that. Thank you for reminding me of that. It's not just any church. It's Christ's church, the one that he gives us his most precious body and blood for our benefit, to transform our hearts. Because once our hearts are transformed into the likeness of his heart, that's the very thing that aligns us to him in heaven. It's the very thing that's like a tractor beam, you know, that starts to pull us into heaven for the rest of our life. It's the regular reception of him who can transform all things. God bless you all.